Hello and welcome back to our uh, podcast series here at Whitecaps London. I am extremely excited uh, to interview this next guest. This podcast, uh, we're going to focus on a player that played for Team Canada Women's Soccer. And um, so here's her intro. Helen Stumbos is a former Team Canada Women's Soccer player. She was on the national team for eight years and represented Canada at the 1995 FIFA Women's World Cup. She holds a distinction of scoring Canada's first ever World Cup goal. Hear about her experience today, and uh, we'll talk about a few other things, uh, soccer. So at this time, welcome, Helen, to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Uh, I was sharing the, uh, the concept of interviewing you with a few uh, on the board. And they were like, wow, and she lives in Guelph? We're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself. Have you always lived in Guelph? Um, you know, and uh, born and raised there? Like, what's the story? Tell us yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I was, uh, I was born and raised here. Uh, I grew up, you know, I, I'm like, I'm probably the perfect Guelph kind of historical soccer player because I, I grew up starting house league here in Guelph, and then I went up to... Uh, rep and all-star and uh, regional, provincial, uh, national. So I literally, most of my youth career, all my youth career was here. And that was, it was a little bit different then, right? Like I think now, I don't know if the OPDL, you know, you have to train, uh, you go play somewhere else. But back in the day, we basically played for our club teams. And then um, if you were selected to play regionally, you went to, you know, maybe camps over the weekend or training over the weekend, but we never really left our clubs, which to me, if you ask me, that's so important. My club team was my family and uh, I don't think I would have left my family to go play it, even if it meant I would make a national team, but uh, I loved playing here. You know, you grow up with, you know what it's like playing for a team. You grow up with them, you know, yep. you go through everything with them. You have fun with them. You have sad moments with them, but especially in those times when you're, you know, at that age, you're really, um, you know, they're such an important part of your life. And I am grateful. Guelph's a great little town. It was definitely different then because nobody really, I think, I think we were a small town. So there was a little bit of a surprise that a player coming from a, like a small community like this, uh, would make it onto the national team. And, um, I don't think I was really well known, uh, nationally, you know, especially because I just came from a small town, but, uh, but I think at the end of the day, for me, it was always just because I, I played the game because I loved the game. I love playing with my, my teammates and my friends. And that's, mm -hmm. I think that's always the key to success, right? Is when you love something. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It makes it a lot easier. That's for sure. Sure right? does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even with our, um, what do you do for uh, a living today? Like, um, I mean, we'll get into your soccer stuff <laughs> from the past and, but sure. I'm just curious, what, what are you yeah. filling your time with? It's, you're not on the pitch today. Sure. So. There's a couple yeah. things. I mean, since I, I retired, I, I kind of entered the television broadcast world, and I, I was a commentator for women's soccer for many, many years. And then, right. uh, and then I ran a production company, and I worked on a lot of um, uh, broadcast videos for a lot of uh, sports organizations like Canada Sports Hall of Fame, Paralympic Committee, Olympic Committee. And, and lately, uh, I'm still running a production company, um, but I'm also putting together here in Guelph, which is really, really exciting. And actually, hopefully people in London will want to come. Uh, we're putting together the biggest uh, Masters uh, sporting event that the area has seen. It's an over 30 multi-sport games and women's soccer is part of it. 
And it's basically a, a festival and a sport a sporting event for athletes over 30. It runs over four days every year over Canada Day weekend or that, that those those periods in time, end of June, beginning of July. And uh, it was we, we created it because, oh, well, I'm an over 30 athlete. I love competing. I know the Masters Games, the International Masters Games are hugely successful. And Guelph was a perfect place to host something like that. So we've been kind of developing that for the last probably three and a half, four years. Uh, we were supposed to launch this year, but unfortunately that didn't happen. Uh, yeah. But uh, but it's uh, it's gonna be a, like a really, really great, we expect 5,000 athletes. Uh, we expect thousands of people coming to celebrate the festival with us, which is uh, the festival part is free for anybody to attend. Uh, we'll have food trucks, we'll have beer gardens, we'll have entertainment, we'll have the freestyle, the freestyle guys are coming to, to, uh, to participate as well. And lots of just really fun things to do for the community, as well as seven different sports over the four days being uh, being uh, participated in. Okay, that sounds super exciting. You're definitely gonna have to shoot me an email with uh, with those details, and we'll share them on on our social media and all that for that'd be, sure. That'd be great. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think there's more over thirty now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, I, I guess if you don't mind, I, I just how, how did you connect? How did you get seen by the national <laughs> program? I mean, what, what, I mean, because nowadays, as the president of the club, there are pathways. Uh, there are certain ways to connect with, you know, whether you're going to be scouted through the OPDL or going to be scouted outside the OPDL. There are opportunities to be seen, right? And then now also with different types of camps that you can go to and other uh, scouts are there from different universities or mm -hmm. colleges or NCAA. I mean, there are, because of social media or because of the internet, you can find these opportunities for players. I mean, how, I mean, even if we just go to 1995, the year that you played in the world cup, like how did they find Helen? <laughs> then? Yeah. I mean, it's a fair question. Sure. Right? Like who was instrumental? Go for it. Yeah, um, actually, uh, you know, I, like I said, I played here in Guelph all of my youth career, and my coach uh, for most of those years was Keith Mason, who was the coach of the University of Guelph uh, men's team, was the women's team back in the day. Uh, so, yeah, after, I think it was my first or second year in university, they decided to do kind of like an all-star university camp. Uh, the all-star university camp was uh, hosted in, I remember, Sherbrooke, Quebec. And the way it worked was um, each university team was to, you know, send in their top players to go to this camp to be seen by the national team coach. And uh, and so my my Laurier coach, I, I was at Wilfrid Laurier University at the time, didn't put my name in. But mm -hmm. Keith, I know, eh? And, but Keith Mason, who was my coach growing up here in Guelph and was the coach of the University of Guelph women's team, I think contacted uh, the CIAU at the time and said, you know, I needed to be there. So he he knew kind of my uh, experience and he knew my <laughs> what I what I contributed as a player, and I Amazing. remember going to that camp and and so there were a lot of coaches from university there with the national team coach, um, and players from all over Canada and uh, I do remember and he tells me the story I don't remember this he told me the story, but mm -hmm. we were playing a three v three competition. And because nobody really knew who I was, uh, you know, they were making bets. The coaches were making bets whose 3v3 team was going to win. And right. he knew me quite well. And he said uh, he he bet all the coaches that my 3v3 team was going to win. <laughs> mm. And I guess, yes, my 3v3 team did win. 
And uh, and then the next year they did the same thing, but uh, with a bit of a twist. This time she was going to select players to go to the full national team camp right after it. And so mm-hmm. the next year I was at the camp, and uh, I remember being at that camp thinking, you know what, I'm gonna like I'm I'm really focused. I'm gonna make it. And two of us, two of us out of maybe 50 players that were there, made it to the national team camp. Uh, and then our national team camp was in, I remember it was in Hamilton. And uh, I, a funny story is at the end of the week of that camp, uh, mm-hmm. they she created a, like an inter-squad game. And we could tell what the squad game was. She basically put all of the, what she thought was going to be the starters of the national team against those people she was considering cutting. And I was on the right. those people considering cutting team. Uh, but I remember before that game just being like, I was, for lack of a better word, I wasn't happy. And yeah, I, I thought, I <laughs> and I can be a little bit <laughs> stubborn sometimes. So I thought, oh, yeah, you want to put me on the team that's going to get cut? And so I, I think, uh, I, I just remember thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to like play out of my, like out of my, um, out of my body. And so I did. Yeah. I remember scoring, I think I scored three goals. We ended up winning. My team beat the, her, her starting lineup. Her stack team? Wow. Yeah, the stack team. I think we, I think I scored maybe two or three goals. And, uh, and I think from that point on, I remember Tom McManus was the assistant coach and he was, he came up to me afterwards and he was like, you were the player I was most concerned about on the other team. And, and uh, after that, I, I, you know, I became, I was a starter on the team. I was a starter and I was a starter at, yeah, it was pretty, it's a pretty cool story and lots of ups and downs after that, but, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, a starter. And I think she put me up, uh, we played a three, five, two at the time. And I played the mm-hmm. ugh, left flank, which was hard only because I think I had a, I had a, I could kick with both feet pretty well. But right. anybody that knows a three-five-two, those outside flank positions are probably the hardest positions to play from a running perspective. It was, oh, I'm, yeah, fitness. I mean, ugh. yeah. Ugh. I, let's talk about being fit, right? Okay, <laughs> yeah. Just in, if we're looking at it from that perspective, I'll take goalie. You know, no offense to anyone that's a goalie out there, but yeah, yeah I mean the. You need some serious cardio in that in that in that formation for sure. Yeah, right? it, it was so hard. It was literally. I remember playing in. The, uh, we played in a tournament right after in the United States, and I played against Italy, and then I played against the uh, U.S. team. And mm-hmm. I remember in particular playing against um, Joy Fawcett on the U.S. team, who happened to be the fittest player on the team. And all I remember right. is she would run like eighteen yard box to eighteen yard box, and I don't mean run. I mean she would sprint. I couldn't believe it. It was insane. And I remember yeah. thinking, it's, this is impossible. There's absolutely no way a human being can can consistently run at this speed for 90 minutes. And I, I remember that game thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to, like, this, this is impossible. This is, there's no way I can do this. And mm-hmm. uh, I had to develop a strategy to make it through games after that because it was it was literally physically so taxing and emotionally and mentally so taxing. I couldn't think mm-hmm. of the game in terms of 90 minutes. I had to think of it in terms of five minute in- in- intervals. So I would look at the clock. Oh. Yeah, I had to, I looked at the clock every five minutes and I'd say, okay, you're not playing, you're just playing five minutes. And so I'd mm-hmm. say that's all you need to focus on right now. You're just playing these five minutes, just play these five minutes the best you can play them. And then I'd be like, okay, five minutes is done next five minutes and well that's interesting mm-hmm. that take is interesting helen because when i when i've been reading lately about runners and successful marathoners they look at targets and they say okay i just got to get to that one blue building when i was training i just got to get there 
Mm -hmm. you know, and then they focus on getting to that blue building. But meanwhile, there's still another 18K in the marathon, right? But they're kind of like judging it by, okay, now I just got to get to that next brown building. And now I got to get to the red building. So you were actually changing your frame of mind or managing your mental stability by doing that same thing a marathoner does that I was recently reading about but in a match. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. Because I, I, it was uh, just a natural instinct. I don't even know where it came from. I just was, I just knew in my head at the time I was like, there's my brain can't think <laughs> that I could right. do this for this long. Now I will say as my years went on, I, I, you know, you start to, you, you actually start to realize how much your mind plays in kind of telling you, you can't do it. And as you train right. your mind that it's doable, then your body follows. And so I think as I trained my mind that I could play 90 minutes, then I could play 90 minutes and, and over time and whatever I needed to do. Uh, but those first, uh, you know, couple of years, I probably did it all the time. I literally, I couldn't think more than five minutes. If I thought more than five minutes, I, I didn't think I would, I would survive and last. So it really helped me big time being able to play at my, like the best of my ability for five minutes, rather than, you know, sometimes when you think of an hour and a half, which is a long time, you almost want to spread out your uh, you know, how much energy you want to right. put out. No, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm uh, doing five minutes. I just literally kept thinking, just play five minutes the best you can and then play the next five minutes the best you can. And that's how I right. got through it. One of the, um, one of the most amazing things that I heard when I heard you on another podcast and what led me to reach out to you was one of the, the points or one of the comments that you made was um, how much, how hard you work during a practice. And I, mm-hmm. and I find that um, there was a comment, something like, correct me if I'm wrong. Again, I, other players on your team would, would be upset with you because you, you practiced so hard. Like, can you, do you remember talking yeah. about this? Yeah, I do. Can you expand about this? Cause I think it's important. Like I hear, as a president of a club, I often, sometimes I'll receive an email from a parent saying, you know, so-and-so went so hard during the practice and, you know, we're not there to get hurt. And it's like, well, no, fair, 100%, you're not there to get hurt. Like, can't argue that piece. You're you're 100%. But, but at the end of the day, you're there to be challenged. Yeah. You're there to grow. You're there to, to, at some point, expand your current space, right, that you're in. Can you absolutely speak to that? Well, one of my coaches, I remember saying, uh, you know, the only person you cheat is yourself. Like if you're, even if you're cheating in like, you know, when you do doggies or whatever, and you don't like touch the line. I remember him literally saying, I I don't care. You can cheat, but the only person you cheat is yourself. And, um, and I remember thinking when, when you're training and you're not training at the highest level you can train at, uh, well, then when you get on the field to play a game, the whole person you're cheating is yourself because I'm the one that's going to suffer. And uh, right. I remember being at, uh, I remember training in Toronto with the National Training Center. And I, yeah, I, I, I trained, I trained like I was playing because I had to. If I didn't train at that level, then when I got into a game, was I going to practice it in a game? I needed to practice mm-hmm. it on the field. And, and you know, I, I remember watching, I remember watching the U.S. women's team play, and you know they've always been the top player, top team in the world. I remember watching one of their training sessions early on, and when you watch them train, they trained like they were they were in a World Cup final. I'm not even kidding you. They were taking wow. each other out. They were it was it was insane. And I'm a you know the best way for you to prepare for a game is to play like you're playing a game. 
really, what are you going to do? You're going to play like you're playing a game in the game, but not in your training. Uh, and I went mm-hmm. in and I played hard and I played, you know, I played like I was playing a game because I knew the only person that would lose out is me. You know, it would be me right. on the field. It would be me, you know, suffering to make that one extra fast, quick step uh, to the side or to the left or to the right or pushing, you know, uh, really trying to get in front of somebody. I mean, it was, it was, I think when you train, you train like you want to play. And, and I, my university coach in my last year, Barry McLean, he was really great because he knew how to even uh, partner people up based on, you know, how they competed against each other. And, and I remember yes. he would put me against one of the players and we did running drills. They knew we, we would push each other and we both wanted to beat each other and we would fight each other that way. And, and it worked. I, 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 gosh, I remember at a national camp, Charmaine Hooper, which I'm sure a lot of people know is one of the yes. toughest players that played our coaches to put us against each other. One V one. And, and wow. we would literally, I'm telling you, we would be, pulling and tearing and pushing and and we're the best of friends we absolutely love each other but we knew in that situation we just had to play like we were actually playing and uh, mm-hmm. you you only get better by you know pushing yourself in any way you can whether that's when you're going for a run whether that's when you're practicing your ball skills when you're training against other players you're never going to get better by just being okay and not pushing it too hard um, you only get, it's just like building a muscle. You build a muscle by, uh, you know, pushing the limits of your muscles, not by just keeping the status quo. So it's kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. And, and that's fair. Like, I mean, and that's why I found that piece when I heard you interviewed, uh, in that other, um, that time I heard you, I was like, wow, I gotta, that I gotta bring that up. I mean, cause for me, that's a standout, right? Um, at this time, I just want to kind of go into a little bit because there's so much I want to squeeze into yeah, no this, um, you, you know, but I do want to talk about, you know, uh, Helen, uh, you know, um, I understand your parents were immigrants to Canada and now she's playing for her, for Canada. You know, what's this, what's this environment in your family, you know, with Helen, all of a sudden she's gone from you know, the local health league as a five-year-old to she's donning a, putting on a, a Canadian shirt to represent this country. Uh, you know, not in a kind of provincial tournament here. We're <laughs> talking the world cup, you know, how, what does that do for your environment, your family, your community, your, yeah. You know, just that overall golfness, if I can call it right. What's that do? And, and what do you feel it did? for you well, looking back. Well, I mean, I think it's funny because I don't think my mom really understood kind of what I was doing. She just saw me playing a sport and didn't really think about it. Um, and I remember she used to say, you know, what are you going to do with soccer? You got to learn to cook and clean and be a good housewife. Um, but that's kind of what my mom thought. And, you know, it's yeah. funny. You just kind of do what you do. Like, I don't... Um, playing was just what I love to do. And I just played because I love to play. And I didn't think of like right. kind of the um, peripheral repercussions of that. I do feel like I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, you know, I think my mom got it. I think my mom understood kind of the, the, you know, what I had accomplished when I, when I got inducted to the Canadian soccer hall of fame. And at first it was, it was the hall of fame was during our Easter, Greek Easter. And if you know anything about Greek families, Easter is huge. Um, the biggest, mm-hmm. it's bigger than Christmas. It's the biggest celebration. And the, uh, the gala was the uh, the big night, Saturday night, which is when you're supposed to go to church. And, you know, and my mom was like, oh, we're not missing. We can't miss church for your gala. 
goodness. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it was funny. The only thing that happened was a Greek newspaper in Hamilton did an article in Greek on me explaining, I think, I, I don't know if I was the first Greek person to get inducted to the Hall of Fame. I can't remember. But I think my mom read it in Greek and then was like, oh, my God. Like, this is a big deal. Like, and then she was like, oh, we're, we're going to yeah. totally miss Easter. We're coming to your gala. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Yeah. If the church put it out, we're good to yeah, go. Yeah. Right? Well, because then she, then I think she understood. And I don't even think, you know, even from my perspective, I don't think I even really um, took in so much that I was competing and playing at that level. Yes, of course, I was incredibly proud. But you're just, you're playing. Like, you're just so proud to be playing. And happen to be playing and representing your country that you don't think of it in anything bigger than you're playing the game you love, representing the country you love, and it's just part and parcel. Um, you know, even mm -hmm. at the World Cup, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm at the World Cup, which is really, really cool, but I'm here to play. And I was focused. That was my, I'm just focused on playing. And, right. and you know, I think that, yeah, you, you know, I just it never, it never entered my thinking. Um, at all it didn't for me personally uh, do i think it you know it was great for my dad i think you know from my dad's perspective i'm happy that you know he i always say he was my coach growing up so he's the reason i i did and accomplished what i did if i didn't have him as my coach i don't think this would happen so right. i'm happy he could see what his effort and work did because as a kid when you're that young and you know your dad's taking you to practice you don't really think about it you just think well that's what dad's supposed to do right but now as you get older right. and I think about it, I'm like, oh, my God, my dad worked like a full time job and work woke up in the morning and, you know, took me out to train in the evenings. Then in the weekends, he would wake up super early to drive me to York University to train and, you know, made sure I was at every practice and made sure he came. To, I, I just feel like you don't realize how my, how important uh, that your parents are in your development as a player until you get older and they say, you know, you get wiser as you get older and I think that's true you don't think it right. at a at a young age but I was I now I look back and I think I'm happy that you know he could see what he helped create right I mean in our past uh podcasts we've discussed that you know players uh athletes have uh a rebound they they can speak to their coach if they don't if they're not doing something right they can get instruction from their coaches uh, I've talked about where with a coach, where a coach, you know, if they're not doing something right, um, they're either being assessed by the club technical director or another peer, yeah. right? Hey, why don't you try this next time? Do this next time. And, but I've always said that parents, they don't have someone to say, hey, you're not being a good parent or you're being a great parent. Oh, hey, try this. Yeah, yeah. Parent. Do you know what I mean? Like there's no, there's no real, if I can say uh, group, uh, support group for parents. There's a support group for coaches. Yeah. There's a support group for for almost every part of the it's game, true. except the parent. And by the way, let's be honest. Without the parents, we ain't 100%. playing. Right, right. We're not we're not being brought to the game. We're not. Uh, you know, with youth soccer, uh, someone's got to yeah. pay for it, right? And um, maybe you know, there's different levels. Like here at Whitecaps, we've got recreational soccer we've got what we call competitive soccer and then we have opdl as well right but there's different levels and different stages of funding yeah required, sure right so i i always in this whole podcast series i always want to reflect back to and i'm so thankful you brought up yeah. your parents because at the end of the day 
you know, I think often some of us forget to thank them because they're just such an organic, natural piece of who we are that we often forget really without them. We, yeah, so we don't think about right? it. Like, I think it, it's just so natural for you to think, well, this is normal. But then, you know, I also know players that, you know, maybe didn't have the opportunities I had because they didn't have a dad or a mom that could drive them to training or could get them to where they needed to go. And, and you Absolutely. know, and, and you Absolutely. just, you just naturally is, I mean, you're young and you, you know, you know, they say you're just full of, you think about yourself, you don't really think outside of yourself. And that's so true. You're just like, well, I want to, I want to train, I want to do this. And now looking back, I'm like, wow, like, I see how much and how important he was in my my career and it wouldn't have happened without him I mean training me every single day and here in Guelph we were we were known we my dad every every night not kidding every night we used to go to Centennial and the bowl at Centennial and they used to know us because my my dad had a big brown Chevy and every night the big brown (laughs) and we'd watch a little bit of the end of the game at the bowl and then after the game we'd sit at the um on the field beside it. And my dad, we didn't have cones. We, you know, we, didn't have, we were just an immigrant family. He'd pick up garbage and he'd put it on the field and he'd yeah. say, dribble with your left foot outside, dribble with your right foot outside. And I, and that's how he trained me and, and wouldn't let me, you know, I'd always be like, I want to kick, can I take some shots on that? And he'd be like, you take shots on that at the end, but first you have to do the basics. <laughs> and, uh, and that's kind of what he, right. he made me do. And, and I, I truly believe, uh, you know, especially with young athletes that are just starting in soccer, and I think part of why I feel I had a lot of success was those basic skills were so ingrained in me from such a young age. Uh, and that's the, the, right. the, without the basics, you can't do anything. And I remember one of my favorite coaches said to me once, um, as long as you can control and pass a ball really well, you can play a great game of soccer. And uh, yeah. you can't. Yeah. It's fundamental, totally for sure. Yeah. Fundamental yeah. there. Um, the looking back at 2020 for yeah. our club it's funny that you bring this fundamental piece up as the initial rollout of being allowed to return to play was that all the players all the athletes had to stay mm-hmm. apart they had to stay in in essence their 10 by 10 right. box and they and we had to do drills using the whole field and initially there were only 10 players allowed on a field yeah right so so now you're you're literally back at fundamentals you're kicking the ball far you're trying to control it first time you're trying to kick it so watching this rollout of return to play was actually fascinating because the kids weren't just coming and doing drills um you know right off the bat they they actually had to come back to the fundamentals and that was that was a really interesting piece about COVID and us returning to play, right? But again, I, there's so much I want to squeeze <laughs> in here, so we'll we'll just we'll just move on. So um, to the next um, interesting piece I got uh, for you, uh, or question I have for you is: so I know you played in the World Cup in '95, but out of um, out of this, did, playing for a national team, there's got to be people that want you to play for them. Who who was it? Who was coming after Helen, um, and and did you end up getting scouted by any anybody, any countries, any any teams, something um, more professional level, and and did you take any of the opportunities? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I at the World Cup, and I don't know if you're going to go into my story about the World Cup, but at the World Cup, I had um, and that World mm-hmm. Cup year, I I probably had the best year on the team. 
ever. And from then on, I think uh, that's what I really, you know, secured my position uh, on, on Team Canada. But um, at the World Cup, it was really interesting because I had coaches kind of following me from uh, from different countries. I know Germany, I had a German coach that was just so eager to, to have me go play in Germany. Uh, when I was in Japan, there was a, you know, a team from Japan that wanted me there. And it was because I was never the player that they were scouting. It was always, you know, Charmaine Hooper. <laughs> um, so, but it was interesting because I, I right. mean, they literally were following me from game to game. And and if you know about a World Cup, the games aren't like from there's a game in Guelph and there's a game in Kitchener. It was like there's a game in Guelph and then there's a game in Montreal and then there's a game in Edmonton. They were right. c- kind of following me around the country trying to recruit me. Um, and then after the World Cup, which I didn't end up following, mm-hmm. I think after the World Cup, I was it was I was so burnt out. Like there's so much that goes into a training and and playing at that level that I, I just needed to yes. decompress. But I um, and then I had a coach in uh, in the states uh, in the pro league there that that actually recruited me, and I did go play in the U.S. Uh, I would call it semi-pro. I got paid to play uh, in uh, Buffalo, uh, and I played in Buffalo for I think two Amazing. seasons uh, semi-pro. Uh, so it was a really, really, you know, cool experience. I, it would have been neat to go to Europe, but I think I, I knew I made the right decision. I just, I knew at the time I wasn't ready. And it was a big thing. Like, I think the, the town in Germany, I remember it was like a little tiny town. Nobody spoke English. It would have been such a huge adjustment mm-hmm. for me. And even Japan, I, I don't know if I could have like dealt with the, the change in, in language, like living. Right. I know Charmaine had already been living there, but uh, but you know, for right. me coming back here to where my roots were and just continuing to to participate here, just you know, I always I'm a big believer in following your what feels right. And um, even now in my business, I talk about that a lot about really feeling it out and what do you feel is best for you and what what direction do you want to take. And I've always kind of followed that. And I knew at the time it wasn't the right direction for me. And and um, yeah, so. You know, I uh, I didn't end up going there, but I did play in the in the states for a couple of years, and it was a great experience. I bet. I mean, look, Helen, I love that you pointed that out because I think a lot of athletes feel that they need to do this yeah. for someone other than themselves. And the fact that you you got to be true to who you are, right? And and do what's in your gut. And I and it's funny because we're human beings, and we're I'm big on psychology, and I think that at some point. Um, we do we do have these built-in 100%. mechanisms, although they're arguable. <laughs> I, I'm sure that you could get a roundtable of psychologists and argue about the instinct uh, piece. But you know, I do believe that we're built with these these internal. Hundred percent. Right. And yeah, I do. So again, so now shifting into um, the one question I ask everybody uh, that that was an athlete, um, what. And it might be hard for you. It may not be hard for you, but um, what was your greatest asset? Like if I played against Talon, if I was lining up to play against her, what would I fear? What was your greatest strength? So I think from what I've been told. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. I I had a really good uh, vision. So I could see the game. I could, I remember what I would do is I would look up, I would look up, and then, and I can't explain how this happened, but in my head, I would see spaces and holes and plays before they happened. I knew where the space was, where the run should be, where I could put the ball in the place that a player could get to. 
So I guess you could kind of say I, I really saw the game. Uh, like I literally played in, in milliseconds. Is as soon as I opened my eyes and saw the field, I would see all the players and I would see the plays already happening in my head. So I knew. Kind of yeah. like the Matrix. Yeah, like, like you, I already movie. knew yeah. kind of, I knew where, and, and I, the more I played with players, so I, and that was a cool thing about playing here in Guelph is I played with this, a lot of the same players for many years. And when they started to know how I mm -hmm. thought, they started to understand what I, what I saw and they started to get into positions that they knew I could get them the ball. So I would say um, I had a really, Amazing. I had a really good, I could put, I could, I could pinpoint a ball and put it somewhere and know that somebody should be in where the spaces were. So I saw holes, I saw spaces, I saw plays before they happened. I knew where I knew where things should go before they went there. Amazing. I mean that that is that's a gift. I call those gifts, right? And and uh, thanks for sharing that. So this wouldn't be a complete podcast for me if I didn't ask you about. <laughs> scoring the first goal in the World Cup for the women's national team. And I'm sorry if this is like maybe a moment like some of the some concerts you go to and you know the band just doesn't like to sing the song, but a lot of the people are there no, to hear it. <laughs> so they play it. But 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 tell us about your scoring the first goal for the women's side for the Canadian national team. Sure. Tell I mean uh you know it. Well, first of all, I'll tell you, I had no idea that it was the first goal for Canada on the national team at a World Cup. I had no, absolutely no idea. Like, it goes back to the whole thing that when you're there competing, you're, uh, my whole focus was the game. I didn't care what, what, who scored, what scored, what happened. I just wanted to win. So when we, when I scored, it was, you know, we were losing to England and I knew we needed to score more goals. So you'll notice if you ever watch the goal, I didn't even, uh, didn't flinch. I just basically ran back to the half and was like, come on, let's go. I don't think I knew. Yeah, I had no idea. No idea. I think I, I think my I was hosting a right. show at the time, and I think my co-host was like uh, asked a question. We had this trivia thing, and he was like, "Who's the first player to ever score a World Cup goal?" And I I remember sitting there going, "I don't know who. Like, who was the first player?" And then he was like, "It was you." I was like, "What?" <laughs> I had no idea. Um, but uh, but the goal Amazing. was uh, directly off a corner kick, and I always say, "Bend it like Beckham." Learned how to do bend it like Beckham from bend it like Helen. Um, that's a joke. <laughs> but, uh, right. but, uh, but I, yeah. it's funny because the commentator was like, Oh, you know, I'll be an, an orthodox goal. They called it, but I will say I, I, I took all the corner kicks and free kicks for Canada at the time. And, and my roommate at the time I was, we were, you know, training the night before the game and, and, and she, I, she remembers this. I was like, I, I can, I'm going to, like, I can score off of these. Like I can, I can score off of corner kicks. Cause I did, I used to score off of corner kicks all the time. My dad showed me how to, you know, spin the ball uh, from a young age. So, I, I put it out there that I'm like, I know Amazing. I can score off a corner kick. And so I thought it was funny that the commentators were like, oh, you know, kind of like a lucky, lucky goal. And I was like, no, no, no. I, I was intentionally looking to see how I could bend that in. And it, it worked. <laughs> yeah. I, the, the one piece I found fascinating when you, um, well, I found a lot of it fascinating, but about the World Cup game is when you got knocked out of the competition but because, again, we're 95, you're coming back home and no one knows if you've actually won or not won because the games are now being played yeah. as you're heading What back a difference, home. eh? Like right? how things have changed. I you mean, know. there was no attention on us back then. Right. I know. I, 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 I've always been a proponent for the female game. Um, I've always I've been very involved in the match official side here in the province. But 
I, um, I find it fascinating when I read articles about the men versus the women. And, you know, nowadays, again, I don't know what it was like back in the 90s, right? Because yeah. I was really young then. Um, not for, yeah. I'll just say we're really young, but not too young. But I, I wasn't. Um, I, I know. I know that nowadays when you go to a female Canadian national team game, uh, like I was at one in Hamilton a couple of years ago, I was one, at one at uh, um, where the TFC stadium is, BMO Centre there. I mean, there yeah. were 18, 19, yeah. 22,000 <laughs> fans for the female game. And the one thing that I, Helen, it's got to make you proud, is seeing people not with Canadian no. men last names on their jerseys or wearing, by the way, hockey jerseys because that's all they can find with the canadian logo on them like how 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 do you see how, how proud and how do you see the game how it's changing and give us your thoughts on, on on where the women's game is today and do you feel it's as even or do you still think there's well, uh, well you know my uh, my world cup team had a reunion in 2015 at in vancouver for the women's world cup and uh and i remember we were all there uh, just how important, you know, you realize how you connect with your players so much. And we, we were so excited to see each other. A lot of us hadn't seen each other in 15 years, but I remember we were all going to the games and, and uh, I think we were almost in tears just to see, see where things had come because it was so hard when we were playing. It wasn't easy. It was hard. It was, uh, you know, we, we paid to play basically, you know, we, we paid to train. We paid for everything. I mean, we we did it. Uh, we did it because we absolutely loved the sport and, and wanted to represent our country. Not that they don't now. They do. Absolutely. We just didn't have. There was nothing. Nobody knew anything uh, yeah, at all. And I remember being there with the girls and uh, looking around and just thinking, wow, like, even if the small little role we played in the beginning days of the national team and, and to where it is now, I'm so so I'm proud of Canada for supporting, uh, you know, their athletes, their female athletes. It shows you how, you know, I think the more media attention we women's sport gets, you can see how people will support women's sport. Uh, you know, they'll follow suit. I think that uh, the more we started to see the players and the teams on TV, the more we knew who they were and the more support they got. So you, the media is such a big part of what we see and and i think it's so important for the media to continue to visibly show women and women in sport for people to get behind them and to support them because mm. i personally and i i love watching soccer but i prefer watching women's soccer uh, i really do i really love watching women's game and i think that mm. you know a lot's changed in Canada with the women's game. Obviously, we went from you know our parents being the only fans in the stands to to selling out. And uh, you know we had Fair some. Enough. We played in Europe. Uh, we played in France once before a uh, pre Saint Germain and a Montpellier game, and we were it was sold out when we were playing uh, the end of our game. And and we played in Japan to sold out crowds. And all I remember thinking was I loved playing in front of crowds. I know some people there's get nervous. I get excited and I, I wished I could have played in front of big crowds like that, well, yeah. but I'm so proud of, you know, I'm so proud of being one of the beginning, you know, at the beginning stages of the game here, even though we, you know, it was, it was tough. It was challenging and we didn't, you right. know, our games were broadcast a week after we got back from the world cup. It was so different. And, and at night in the middle of the night, um, but uh, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change yeah. it for the world. I'm, I'm, 
you know, I think it, you build a lot of character when you go through difficult situations and, uh, and the team and the girls I was with are forever my, my, my teammates and forever, you know, I consider them part of my family. So I feel very lucky. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, for me, I, 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 I doing the homework, you know, to speak with you and seeing where the game was, the women's game back then, it's, it's even difficult with the source of the <laughs> internet to find a lot on, 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 on players, you know, I want to say before yeah. 2012, yeah, 13, right. Um, yeah. And it, and it, for me, I find it uh, fascinating that, uh, um, I mean, really, I don't want to use the word pioneer because I feel that we're <laughs> yeah, both very right, unstuck. For sure. <laughs> but, but, but really, your group of, 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 of players were pioneers. I mean, every player that puts that Canadian shirt on, in my opinion, um, you know, should write a little thank you at some point to every one of you, right? Because um, you did forge the path, right? And yeah, you did it with your friend, you know, because you wanted to be there, no doubt but it's just a beautiful moment. So just tightening up now and we're heading into yeah. our, <laughs> our stretch here. Um, and I just want to, I've got um, a quick rapid fire and I do this sure. uh, with most of our guests just to, and then I'm going to ask you uh, a question sure. to, to, to kind of finish us off. And before I do, I um, sometimes, cause it gets so quick and the goodbye so fast. I just want to say, um, Helen, thank you so much for taking this time. Um, with, with our club and sharing this with our membership. And, and it's just, just a fascinating story for me and, and I hope for many. And um, so if, if you're ready, again, I haven't <laughs> touched you on any of this, which is <laughs> kind of making me nervous. It should make but, me uh, nervous. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll go with the rapid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair All enough. right. Here, here we go. So if you could buy any type of food right now, like, Anywhere in the world, anywhere in what the would world. you buy? Let me think about it. Okay. Can I, okay. My, uh, my best Something food experience like ever. I was in uh, Tobago, Trinidad and Tobago. And Tobago has this place called Aunt Gemma's Treehouse. And it's a, a restaurant in the treehouse. And they literally offer you three meals, chicken, oh. fish, or shrimp. That's it. And, uh, and it was probably the best meal I have ever had yep. in my life. And they had something called bread pudding there. And it's not the bread pudding we have here. It's kind of like a scallop potato, but it's made out of a, mm -hmm. a fruit called bread. I don't know, bread pudding. It was literally the best meal I have ever had in my life. So I would go to Aunt Gemma's Treehouse and have the, uh, the, probably the shrimp. <laughs> put that on our bucket list. Well, you know, I think travel for most. Yes. Because we are in COVID times and a pandemic right now. So I think uh, we'll definitely see the name. It's uh, in time. Tobago. It's called time. Aunt Gemma's Treehouse. We'll definitely look that up. And when I post this podcast, I will see if it's still around and put a link to her if she's got anything. That's fantastic. Okay. So. Who is your favorite superhero? Uh, my favorite superhero? Wonder Woman! <laughs> okay. That's good. I was just curious. I had to ask. Um, what is your most favorite summer activity outside soccer? What's your so I walk a lot in the activity? summer, especially. I love, uh, there's a, I have a, like a nice trail and a river down the street for me. I probably walk it every single day in the summer, especially when, it, when it's nice and sunny. 
I might walk it twice. Mm -hmm. Love it. Wow. Beautiful. Uh, and then this last question, um, it kind of relates to what I do for a living. So, uh, but what's your favorite? I'm vanilla. It's like a nice Madagascar vanilla. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I love it. But a nice, vanilla? good vanilla, okay. like a we'll really go good vanilla. French or Madagascar. Okay. Fair enough. Vanilla it is. Vanilla it is. <laughs> Didn't expect that. I expected that from someone. Fla that a nice flavorful London, vanilla. Maybe not someone. <laughs> <in Guam. laughs> there we go. So Helen, again, thank you. Sure. I'm just going to take you into our last question. And before I do, is there anything um, that you'd like to plug, share with us or anything? Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And, you know, I always say this. I'm, I've never said no to anybody. Uh, I, I'm happy to support and, and speak to and be a part of and contribute in any way I can. I feel like that's part of what you know, God puts us on this earth too, is to give back. And uh, I, I'm happy to come out and, you know, come to a practice or talk to the girls or whatever guys, uh, I'm very happy to do any of that. So I, I'm putting that out there because I think that sometimes people don't think of asking, but I'm always open to it. Right. And, and I'll guarantee you, okay. I will I take so. you up on that for sure. Uh, I would love to not only have <laughs> you speak to our our female memberships, like our players and athletes, but also to our, our men. I mean, uh, the, the boys, um, you know, I've, I've always believed that regardless of who you have speaking, it shouldn't be geared toward uh, a certain, you know, male or female, right? It, it, yeah. it basically, yeah. you're an athlete, you're an athlete, period. You're not, you're not a female athlete. You didn't make, you made that team. Yes. Cause you were, on the female team, but you made it because yeah. you were the best athlete, period, right? And I think that's something as leaders uh, in the community, in any sport, need to really understand that, you know, when you have a guest that played at a level that you did, you didn't play there, you got there because you were the best athlete. And those, uh, what do I say, um, skills, those lessons, those those examples, all that ties 100%. into whether you're 100%. a male or a female, right? You know, yep. so taking us into our last question, um, what I'm asking um, and what I try to basically um, get delivered is what suggestion or what is something you can suggest uh, to anyone in it, to anyone that's listening, um, basically to to be the best they can like what's what's a takeaway what's something is it a commitment level is it is it a cardio level is it what is it what is something that you could tell if you were speaking to a group right in front of you that you would tell them look no matter what this is what's important yeah or, so i would say and and, and it, i encourage people to listen to my tedx talk because i go into this in more detail but um i would say that your mind is the biggest uh, limiter or the biggest expander of anything you want to do in your life. You can either limit you or it can make you great. And I am a personal example of that. Mm. And again, I, you know, to, to know more about that, I would go listen to my Ted talk cause I do talk about that. But uh, you know, our biggest limitation is what we think we can or can't do. And uh, the more, you know, when you play at that level, uh, everybody's good. And the biggest differentiating factor is what you can do with your mind 
uh, and how that affects you. But then you also learn that that mind that affects you not only as an athlete, you know, it, it, it converts into your, your everyday life. And I'm a big believer of, you know, uh, whatever your mind can conceive, it can achieve. I think you can really do anything that you want to do. Mm -hmm. And it's the only limiting factor we have is what we put in our head. So I, I, on a daily basis, uh, I read and study the power of the mind. Uh, all my books, I read everything in my bookshelf is all about the mind and how to strengthen that, that muscle. It's a muscle. You have to work on it. And I, I listen to things every day. I listen to, I, you know, all of the audio I listen to, even in my car are podcasts or talks about the power of the mind. And, uh, you know, I, I truly believe we can do way more and I'll take it back to my story. I, I shared about, you know, when I first played on the national team and I had to cut my, my game down into five minute intervals, it was because my mind didn't think I could do it. But once I trained my mind to do it, I could do it. So what was the only limiting factor? Mm -hmm. My mind. It wasn't that I couldn't do it. It was that my mind didn't think I could do it. So we can do so much more than we think we can do. And uh, as an athlete, I think it's, it's so quant uh, quantitative, like you can see it. I, I play a game or I don't play a game. But as a, as a human being, we don't realize that what we say to ourselves and how we talk to ourselves uh, affects us. And I always I use this great example of, you know, if you think about a lemon and putting a lemon in your mouth and, and sucking on the lemon, just think about thinking about it creates your mouth to salivate. So we actually create physical responses by a thought in our head. Imagine what we're doing when we're telling ourselves we're not good enough. Or we're creating the response for that. So the more we can c continue to put and infuse our minds with positive, good things, I think the more positive, good things come in our life. So that would be my my big thing. That's a great big thing, and it is mind over matter, and often, but I think it's easier said than done. And I mean, even though you focus on this, I I'm All sure that time. sometimes you catch yourself too, right? I mean, it's just a, it's such a strong muscle. Uh, I'll use that word. Uh, it's such a strong muscle that we must manage. And uh, thank you so much, Helen, for sharing. Um, I'm sure that you and I <laughs> could go on forever. And I, I can't wait. I can't wait. And I, and I, to <laughs> yeah. for soccer to get sort of normal again, where, 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 where we can have you. Cause I, I, I just picture you so, um, so that, that moment of, being able to deliver the way that you deliver, like the way I can feel you through this podcast is, is in person. I, I mean, you would just captivate our membership and I would just, I can't wait for that moment. And I will reach out. Yeah. I'll be, I'll definitely be reaching out and uh, you know what zoom is great, uh, but it doesn't have the feel and uh, you know, and uh, but again, thank you so much uh, for your time. Uh, there you have it folks. We just listened to Helen yeah, Stubus. Yeah. Did I say that right? Last name Stubus. Right? Helen Stubus. And um, and if you need to uh, get any more information about Helen, uh, Helen, where where can we find you? Uh, where well, I think I have a Facebook page, Helen Stubus. So that's probably the best. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Helen. Have a super day. And uh, we are heading into the holiday season. So all the best with you and your yeah. uh, your family. Stay safe. And, Thanks uh, so much, eh? And, uh, thank you for your time. Okay, bye.